Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It's good stuff. Yeah. I'm the L Train. Over there is Mr. Two Frames. We're your host of the Laugh Podcast. This is the Laugh Podcast's 100th show. Woohoo! It's an important milestone for us. Later on in the show, we're going to be having an announcement about some changes we've made or we're bringing to Flying Bull Productions and the direction of our uh, of our studio, our podcast empire. We've received some good feedback feedback from some of our loyal listeners about the show. We hope to use some of that to provide an entertaining experience for you, our listeners, because we love our listeners. I'm excited. We've been renewed for a second season. <laughs> yeah, this is... It's a big deal for us, Mr. Two Frames. 2015 was a big year as we brought the Laugh Podcast to uh, the big screen, the big time, iTunes and all that. Yeah, man. But 2016 is looking to be even bigger. It does give us a, a little bit of legitimacy when you say, oh, yeah, we're on iTunes. I'm like, oh, wow, I've heard of iTunes. <laughs> yeah, it was better than back in the day. We're on our school's library webpage. You have to click on the... <laughs> fine job of hosting us. Yes, we love Bud. <laughs> We love the Metroville Library homepage. You have to click on the small uh, picture of a reel of film in the corner of the <laughs> of this page. Then you can stream it as you're as you're doing other stuff for your school related projects. But anyway, we're on iTunes now, and we have our own website, mm-hmm. the yep, com. Twitter and all uh, at the Laugh Podcast and Facebook. You can check us out there and give us some feedback, and we'll use that to help us uh, structure our shows. This week's movie review is highly appropriate for the format of our show, being that it's the Literature and Film Podcast. Today's film is the fourth installment of the popular movie franchise based on the popular young adult novels by Suzanne Collins known as the Hunger Games Trilogy. This is the second part of the last book in that series, Mockingjay. And the movie then is The Hunger Games... Colon, Mockingjay Part 2. Nothing good is safe while Snow's alive. And I can't make another speech about it. Snow has to pay for what he's done. One way or another, this war's gonna come to an end. There's only one thing you could do now to add more fire to this rebellion. Hunger Games is about a dystopian future where in order to keep the peace, uh, 
the children of various districts have to put a boy and girl up to battle to the death against the children from the other districts. That sounds intriguing. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> well, uh, the victor from one of those earlier games has sparked a revolution. Uh, Katniss Everdeen is played by Jennifer Lawrence is now leading this revolution and she's taking the battle to the Capitol in this fourth film, trying to uh, overthrow President Snow, played by Donald Sutherland. Not enough snow in the movie. No, I'm sorry. Want... No, I don't want to. I don't want to demean the movie right away. I, I actually, there are some good things about it. All right. Uh, also includes Joss Hutcherson as a Peta, who was in has been in all four movies along with uh, Liam Hensworth, who plays Gale. There's another dude that helps him out, Finnick. I don't really know who the actor for that is. I don't have that written down. Um, Elizabeth Banks shows up again. Woody Harrelson, Philip Seymour Hoffman, his final film role, and uh, Julianne Moore mm-hmm. stars as Alma Coyne as an important role in the series. I mentioned at the outset that this is a perfect movie for discussing this in our hundredth episode because the Literature and Film Podcast originally set up to analyze movies that are adaptations of. Um, I mean, that's, that was sort of the initial mm-hmm. idea behind the movie. My question to you, Mr. Two Frames, is this. How well does Mockingjay and the Hunger James franchise as a whole work as an adaptation of Suzanne Collins' work? I think it works very well. This is a very faithful adaptation. We had a discussion earlier this week because I, I was arguing that Hollywood is getting very good at doing adaptations. This film series... Any key scenes that you liked from the books, you're going to find in these films. Now, that if you didn't like the books so much, and we'll get into that later, you may not like this film series. That's one of the problems. Now, then, when I read the books back about four years ago, I read them right before the first film came out, I thought that Suzanne was writing these specifically so that Hollywood would turn them into movies. It seemed like she had the plan to make this series the next Harry Potter franchise. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that just seems to translate uh, visually to the big screen. I'm not the best person to offer recommendations for this sort of movie, mm-hmm. this, this type of thing. So, I asked some of the students in my classes, people that enjoyed The Hunger Games and the whole experience that they started off reading when they were kids. Now they're you know seniors or juniors or whatever. They started watching the movies four years ago, and now it's like a presidency. They're pushing them all out. Uh and they seem to enjoy it. Uh, one of my students said that it was very satisfying, and it, she had the same emotional response in the movie that she had to the book while she was reading it. And she was really there. There were other kids in the involved in the conversation that were able to talk about the movie in terms of the book, and they weren't worried about perhaps uh, you know analyzing the different elements of cinematography and all of the kind of the hoity-toity stuff that yeah. I tend to over-focus on, perhaps. So, in that sense, it does set fan service, and so I suppose that it's a satisfying movie for people that watch, or that know the nuances of the plot and the different interactions between the characters. Mm-hmm. So, that's one of the positive things I can say about it. What was your other positive experiences with the movie? Or what were they? Uh-huh. If there were any. <laughs> I was fine with the cinematography in general. I, I thought they did a good job of world building in this film. Part of that is the way they shot the film. Part of that is the special effects. 
I really liked the whole design of the capital. At times it felt like Washington, D.C., but it also at times felt like a European city, uh, a little bit like Germany or, you know, like Brussels. It had that kind of feel to it as well. So I liked the way that they built that whole world. Uh, I thought the traps that were in the city were good. They realized them well. When I read the books and there's one involving a bunch of oil, I thought, oh, how are they going to make this? work in the film and i thought they pulled it off very well okay so i was happy with that jennifer lawrence she's a great actress i always like watching her films she's good in this film i don't think they give her a terrible lot to do she's kind of one note but okay she she's able to play variations on that beat throughout this film you know so i enjoyed all that you anything's you yeah I, there were some positive things i liked there. I, I really liked the opening sequence it was a, a cold open there was no music for the first 15 minutes or maybe 10 minutes, no score, which a lot of movies of this ilk seem to rely on mm-hmm. for emotional impact. This didn't have any of that. It was very raw, very present. It reminded me a little bit of Sicario, and it was dealing with some of the themes of Sicario, uh, which was one of my you know highlights of my movie-going experiences this year. And I thought, oh, man. This is putting me in the right mindset to really be blown away. I, I want to enjoy this movie. It's making me think uh, about it. It's making me consider things in my, you know, my own personal whatever philosophies. Uh, I thought it was going to ask tough questions and provide thematic insights to the sort of, it would elevate it over the other Mockingbird or Mockingjay duo of movies or even going back into the Hunger Games stuff metaphorically i think it worked you know i'm big on metaphor cuz i think she's trying to find her voice in the in the movie and they're they're doing that as a combined situation of the uh you know a filmic experience it's a, it's a movie not a book and i was like okay this is this could be really interesting and then 15 minutes went <laughs> by and it totally changes about the time when the uh when the score set in I kind of when I once I started noticing the score, I was that was about the time when I was getting taken out when I was being taken out of the movie, mm-hmm. like ushered out, very abruptly, well, and it tumbled down from there. It's a hard series because there's not a formula it follows in the Harry Potter uh, franchise, for example. Every story is one year in the life of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and he goes through this cycle of being at school. The first two books feature Hunger Games and training for the games, going into the game and trying to survive. This book is a very different story. This film is very different from the previous ones. Yeah, with it this picks whole up. rebellion. So while you know these characters, they're doing something very, very different. It'd be like if you watched a Batman movie that's um, a medical mystery. <laughs> You know, okay. it all takes place in the hospital. You're like, well, that's not the Batman I know, right? If you right. watched a Sherlock film, Sherlock Holmes film, and it was all romance, there was no mystery in it. Right. It, you know, it, it's hard to hit the right tones, I guess. Well, this movie though had it, it was sort of built in to the structure of the of the trilogy mm-hmm. for it to be very original throughout. Like you kind of mentioned. When when you're talking about Harry Potter, I was thinking the first three or four Harry Potter movies were pretty much the same movie. I mean, they hit the same beats. They mm-hmm. almost at the same time. You could run them simultaneously, 
on a split screen, you four different movies, yeah. and they'd be, probably be doing a lot of the same stuff, even visually. The Dark Knight, in contrast, the Dark Knight trilogy, those are three fairly different movies. I mean, tonally, they're the same, but um, they're telling different stories, and they're using flashback sequences and things of that nature to make it more interesting. There's a lot more texture in those movies to, to differentiate between them. So in that regard, Hunger Games has that built in. It should have been able to um, to use that to its benefit to create a you know a much better movie going experience. I don't I don't I don't think that they took advantage of it. I don't think the filmmakers took advantage of the opportunity that they had afforded to them to make a movie that would entertain everybody. That's my pro- That's my main problem with the movie is it's not it 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 relies too much on fan service. It, re- it relies too much on appealing to a specific group of people who are already predisposed to like it. Whereas if someone, I I think a movie should be able to exist on its own, at least uh, even though there's part one and part two, I think you should be able to go and enjoy it um, for what it is at the time when you're there. And Mockingjay started out like that. Mockingjay part two did. It started out like that, and it elevated it over Mockingjay, Mockingjay Part 1, which I really didn't like at all. This movie picked up in a really good spot, and I was I was mildly surprised, and I was prepared to be entertained. I just don't think that after a while that they, they felt they needed to be original, that there was a lot of stuff packed into the movie that the audience would know, and they just kind of let them be and just let it be. Yeah, I mean... I, I... I guess this is where we're getting into the difference between if you're doing an adaptation, are you retelling the story versus is the story itself very original? And it seems to me like you want an iconic character to constantly be original, to constantly be developing and changing, right? For me, I, I, I don't want... Know. I mean, that's a that's an overarching argument. I don't think I'm making that point, but... Well, you can go with that. I'm interested to see where you're headed. When I watch um, certain characters, certain iconic characters, whether it's Batman, I want to watch Batman be Batman. And that was one of the things I didn't like with the Dark Knight series. He spent very little time just being Batman. He was Bruce Wayne. He was in turmoil about, you know, being the superhero. I kind of want to watch that character do the same things over and over again. I don't mind that. That was one of the things I loved about the TV show House. He's this jerk doctor, and he never really has much of a character arc. Right. He's just the same guy over and over again. It, you know, it's the same thing. He's going to solve a medical mystery over the course of one episode. He's going to make some of the same jokes and it's just the same thing mm-hmm. over and over again. I don't mind that. When I think of Hunger Games to go back to that film and I think of Katniss Everdeen, the main character, I don't know what her character is. Like, what do you come back to? What is the root of her? Okay. In the first two film stories, it seems to be she's a reluctant leader, a reluctant champion, that when her bat's up against the wall, she can make the hard decision, she can emerge victorious, but she doesn't want to be out in front. She's you know forced into that role. In this film, she seems to want to be out in front, and she's not as good as she was. So, so you, I'm 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 a little bit confused on your point in terms of where you stand in the movie. Do you think that this is better than those movies or worse because of what you just said? Yeah. I mean, you're a little bit, I'm not sure what, what you, 
your see, argument is. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I, I don't think the Katniss Everdeen character, and I don't think the overall story of Hunger Games is that great. One of the things I liked with this movie is that it's a replica of the novel. So I, I feel like I'm getting those elements that I know and enjoyed again. They're not changing it. But you're also I get- wish that character, though, could stay more consistent throughout the whole series, though. You, Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's a little bit convoluted, but so's this movie. <laughs> this is the thing. You said that it has the same stuff that's in the in the books. Yeah. What if the stuff that's in the books is no good? Do you throw it out? Yeah, and that, that was an argument we had earlier. Because if you want to do fan service and there, you know, it's entertainment is completely subjective. Who knows what's going to be entertaining to me or you know to the to the target audience um are, should you reconstruct the narrative in such a way um so that it becomes more broad-based and appealing or do you need to have a stringent um sort of application of it i mean that the concept of adaptation is you adapt mm-hmm. and i think that you had in this movie you had opportunities to adapt and improve it when they sort of just went with whatever was in the book and they used it as more of a recipe. They didn't add, I don't know, a little spice here and there. They just went by rote and I think it made for a lesser film. Yeah, I guess, I don't know what is the heart of the Hunger Games films or of the Hunger Games story. What is the soul? What is the essence you have to bring out? I. And I think it, you know, if you knew point. that, then sure, you can go a little off script with your adaptation. I, I don't know what the heart is here. The, I, I, this is what I think the heart is. It's, it's the emotional core of the movie is in her relationships to other characters in the movie. The students that I talked to that really liked it knew that. Mm-hmm. And that was based on their experience with the book and maybe their experience as young girls or mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't talk to many boys that like, the, the book or the movie or whatever, but these, these girls understood Katniss. They understood her motivations and they understood what the emotional core was. The movie maybe it attempted to do it. And for those people that knew what the emotional core was going in, they, they got it. And so the movie had a good payoff for them for other people. They like perhaps you here and people that don't know the movie or don't know or didn't read the books, they don't understand what is the thing that motivates her and the movie doesn't show it to us. This is the biggest failing of the movie. The movie, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't take the motivations of the main character and give us a clear view of her actions uh, appropriate to the to that motivations to that to the sense the emotional core is missing. Mm-hmm. It tries to be there. It's there enough for the people that know the book or that know you know that are invested in the movie series to begin with. It's not there in this movie, and they it, the movie fails as a result. Okay, now that you say all that, I'm thinking back to the earlier films. They would occasionally cut to the other districts and show you people watching Katniss on TV and you could see their reactions and you could see what they thought of her and how much she is a beloved figure and why she's the source of this revolution. They got away from that. Mm-hmm. It, it, there are very few scenes in this film where Katniss is not in the scene. Right. It's kind of the Kevin Costner effect. Well, it's also a function of the bankability of your star and 
I think, in terms of the story, what's going on in the story. But Like, they were broadcasting the Hunger Games in the first two movies. In this movie, they were controlling the propaganda and only putting out very limited things that they wanted people to see. And, I mean, that was an interesting... That was interesting thematically. And even the way that they did that visually was... I, I thought some of the highlights of the film, the the propaganda, you know. And but just would the film have been better with less scenes with Katniss Everdeen Whew. and more scenes with other characters T- out. talking about her and her effect they're having on those characters? I think the, no, I don't think so. Because I think it was too talky. It was too talky by half. And a lot of the stuff that's exposed in the dialogue goes over the heads of most, you know, traditional moviegoers, especially you're watching a movie. You're not watching a book. You're watching a movie. And so if you, if you don't take advantage of the visual medium in a, in a way that, you know, propels the movie forward, then you're sort of, you're, you're, I don't know, you're fumbling the ball on the goal line or not even that you're fumbling it on the, as you're returning the kickoff to use a sports metaphor that most of our audience might not understand if they're coming to this because they really liked Mockingjay. I want to give it its due. I mean, I would have, I, I think about it. We talked about Jessica Jones and the, we laugh. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking if this had been put out as a long form television show over four years Mm -hmm. and they had more time to delve into those character motivations instead of just the two hours every two years or two and a half hours every two, every year, um, then it might've been a more satisfying experience. It might've been more, culturally impactful because the box office on this movie is dropping way off. It's still going to make its money. It'll make its money, but it's, it has, it has not met projections and some heads are rolling at the studios from what I've read. They've had the limit. It's going to be the lowest grossing of the four movies. And you would think that with a movie of this sort of popularity and you got the hottest star, she was, uh, Jennifer Lawrence was just voted entertainer of the, of the year Mm -hmm. by EW you would think that this should be the you know the best movie the the flagship or whatever of the of the fleet of movies that make up that empire and it's not but is this just one of the problems when you're trying to do a whole bunch of adaptations do a film series it's hard to keep up the excitement perhaps um, the dragon tattoo series they've just decided to skip uh, books 2 and 3 and they're just going to jump to book 4 because book 4 just got released earlier this year and they're just going to try and start there, and hopefully they'll be able to reignite audience interest. You know, you've got to come out with your adaptation quickly. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, a film I don't think either of us have seen, no. came out back in February. That book series was super, super hot three or four years ago, and Hollywood took forever developing it. And I think that's one of the reasons why the film series hasn't been doing as well. Okay. So do you have to come out real quick? Strike while the iron is hot. I don't yeah. know. Fellowship of the Ring was what f- seventy years after the exception proves the rule, <laughs> and those are better movies. And there are only three of them instead of four. They had split the Return of the King up into two different movies or added characters. Well, and then you also said the thing: this may be better as a TV show, so you could go more in depth on the characters. I don't really feel like they cut much out from the books when they're making these films. I mean, there no, are but three books, what, and they kept almost everything. I feel maybe they kept the scenes, but they didn't. They didn't communicate the the motivations, and we'll have to talk about that in spoilers. You ready to spoil but, it? Yeah, that's fine. All right. So the emotional core, I think, for Katniss Everdeen, the way I read it is prim. 
her family prim. Not necessarily her mother. I don't think she cares much about her mother. You only see that in a sequence. It's a wedding sequence. Mm -hmm. And Katniss is dancing with Prim, and she starts hugging her, and she starts crying. Now, if you read the book, you know why. You know that there is something about um, Prim trying to actualize herself as a medic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she wants to be involved in the revolution she's trying to find her role and mm-hmm. she's trying to she's trying to actualize herself as a person Katniss is standing in the way of that because she wants to keep her safe you know this from the book that's not in the movie I think at the emotional part the emotional beat that that hits in the movie makes it seem like Katniss is upset because someone's getting married and her love relationships with these two complicated um you know, men in her life is frayed at the edges because she doesn't know who she loves or who wants to love her. Or, and, and it's that love triangle that's sort of like manufactured into this teen angsty sort of uh, miasma that becomes the, the central core for her. And then, then that seems to be the through line that they follow through most of the movie where PETA shows up at odd times, like they send him mm-hmm. to, you know, and she's talking to Gail and Gail's making these decisions and choices. And then at the very end of the movie, right as they're storming snow's palace, you see prim and she gets exploded in this, you know, hideous visual, whatever, I, I you know, mm-hmm. whatever that is, whatever it is. If you blinked, you missed it. And then she catches on fire and, you know, then you find out later maybe Gail was the one that set the bombs that killed her sister and that's why she hates Gail and you never see Gail again. And then you realize that's why she wants to kill, you know, Alma Coyne. None of that is communicated as far as I'm concerned in the movie. And you would only know that stuff if you knew the book. If you knew the book and, uh, you know, you were willing to give it its due and then that becomes an emotional scene for her because of Prim. I don't think that that's communicated in the movie at all. No, I, I think it is. I think you have to pay close attention, and I don't think many people who go and watch a popcorn film like this are going to pay super close attention and focus on every little word. Okay. I mean, they do show you that Gail was working on the bomb. They do? Or earlier on in the film. Was that in Mockingjay Part 1? No, no. In this film, Jennifer Lawrence wakes up, and she hears Gail talking about this two-part bomb, that one explosion goes <laughs> off to draw people in. There are all those scenes. You cannot look away from this Hidden film. Hidden in the dialogue. And I'm pretty sure come January when we're talking about the best Oscar films of the year, we're going to talk about we love how deep and detailed they are and how they force you to pay really close attention to them and to the little details. Yeah, but... Th- but I don't think we can hold this movie... Or we're not holding this movie up to that same standard because this is a popcorn flick. No, I... I don't agree. I'm taking the movie on its face value and I'm trying to say, what is it that would motivate her to behave this way? The final key scene is her shooting coin. Mm-hmm. That's not clearly communicated that that becomes an adversarial goal of hers. She actually, for most of the movie, she wants to kill Snow. I mean, that's the thing that's pushing In her through. In the book, it's not real clear until she does it. it. That's Suzanne Collins pulling the rug out. From beneath your feet, but then you it becomes, feel like she's going to kill Snow, and she decides in the moment to kill Coin instead. I think she decided before that. That's why she agrees to the Hunger Games at all, because she knows that this will set up a scenario where she can take out Coin. But okay. all right, fine, fair enough. If it's in the book, that's fine. It's not in the movie, and it's not communicated post scene either. 
would not, you be better having Jennifer Lawrence give some monologue right before she's supposed to no. shoot her arrow saying, we've all lost people, no. I've lost my own sister in the attacks on the Capitol, and I'm here to punish the person who is responsible for the death of my sister, and then she shoots coin. No, I don't. No, I don't think we need. I, I don't think that that wouldn't be true to the character of Katniss because. But it would explain everything, all the motivations. You would understand why she's doing. But that, stuff. okay, you the reason. Yes, I want it explained. I don't want it explained in a monologue. I want it explained visually. I want it to be done in a smart, well-established. I mean, there are ways. I suppose if I sat down and thought about it, I could tell you how I would build up to that point. For example, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Heavensby, mm-hmm. the key emotional um, regurgitation of his motivations comes in a letter that's read by Haymitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's a function of Philip Seymour Hoffman's having died, perhaps, but it's also so mishandled that it it's a distraction from the movie. And, it, and then at the end, you're like, wait a minute, what happened? I mean... I think the average moviegoer not familiar with the movie or not familiar with the books would go into this and think, what? Who? What happened to that fat guy? Why did she shoot her? Who? Who's that girl she was... What? Well, that's where you could get this monologue. I I think the monologue could be good. It's fitting because you have this large crowd all watching the execution while Jennifer Lawrence is doing the talking. I think you could do a lot visually cutting between her and President Coyne, yeah. and Coyne being you know, upset and frustrated that Katniss is you know upsetting her moment and upstaging her. You could get that tension between the characters. My, I guess my point is movies are a visual medium. Yeah, when but we it, teach writing, we encourage kids to tell, or to, to show, don't tell. We don't want them to tell us what their motivations are or the characters. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder how many script revisions this went through. And if there was enough time to properly work through it, or if they were just really be, just being pushed by the studios to get this film out on time, they've been releasing one of these movies every single year. That's not a whole lot of time to do pre-production. And the same director, Francis Lawrence, has worked on the last three films. Mm-hmm. You're really being rushed. Uh, I wonder Peter if Jackson Suzanne... earlier this week talked about how he was rushed to do all three of those Hobbit films, and he didn't have all enough time four of to those prepare. Hobbit films. Right? No, three. three. Yeah, okay. But he didn't have enough time. He said there were yeah. times on set he was just making it up as he was going along. Yeah, it shows. And that's that third Hobbit movie was worse than this movie. That's the best thing I can say about this movie. Pocket J Part 2. Yeah. Is that the third Hobbit movie is worse? <laughs> I don't know. In I, order for me to recommend this movie, I would have to recommend that someone read the books. And that would take them 10 to 12 hours if they read it straight through. And then they'd have to watch the other movies that would take them another seven hours, okay. seven and a half hours or 507 minutes. I, I, I don't mind that. And I always, I, I know you've been talking about with adaptation, you've got to do things visually, but that's always one of the tricks. How do you translate words into a visual picture? You know, if you're reading Charles Dickens and he spends 10 pages describing a room and all the characters in the room and what they're wearing and why they picked out those clothes, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on for 10 pages in the movie. You just pan across the room in three seconds, and you have to show all that stuff visually. There are always going to be problems. I think the best movie adaptations of books are those that take something at its core and do something with it uh, What's a, what's a great visual. adaptation for you? The Shining. Kubrick's 
vision of The Shining is completely different than Stephen King's. And it's a much better movie. That's a much better experience than Stephen King's movie, the remake that he did. Stephen King prefers the made-for-TV film. I know he does. I don't. I, and there, there are probably many people, I don't know, there might not be many people that prefer Stephen King's version of the movie. There are probably some. Have you read The Shining? Yeah. Okay. I've, Shining. I, I've never read The Shining. I've read Dr. Sleep, the sequel. I've never really been as scared by something that I've read. I mean, I read it when I was younger, so that has some effect on it. But I can recall my heart pulsing and beating as I was okay. as Danny Torrance was exploring the Overlook Hotel and that movie replicated that same experience but it's a completely different movie I mean than the book it's a completely different story than the book um, you mentioned the girl with the dragon tattoo and I'm, I'm not talking about I, I kind of liked the first version too because I liked the actress that was in the, the first Swedish film. the Swedish film um, but the second one the David Fincher adaptation had its own style and i mean i think trent risner's uh uh, music score score added to that and it made it a better experience than the book i think and it made it 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 modified it and made it a little bit better now a movie like no country for old men Mm -hmm. there's not if you read the book by cormac mccarthy it's almost visually, I mean, you picture that. Like, the Coen brothers are really good at adapting novels mm-hmm. for their their movies. However, there's not a whole lot of comedy in No Country for Old Men, the book. But the Coen brothers insert their comedic voice into the sequences where Sugar perhaps is, you know, taught. I mean, just the, the stylized haircut and, the, and his mannerisms. That's Coen brothers through and through. Whether or not it's visually described in the book is immaterial because No Country for Old Men has a lot in it that's Coen Brothers stuff that elevate it or that change it from the book while it's still a a very good adaptation. Yeah, I would use the metaphor. They're playing all the same notes from the book, but the pauses and the speed at which they play those notes is different. That's where they're able to insert their comedy. I think that The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, is playing out the script that Suzanne Collins wrote. And it's it's like, I don't know, a visual book version. It's not an, you, it's not an effective adaptation. Do you think Hollywood so. tries to remake The Hunger Games in 15 years? I heard that they're going to do another Hunger Games. Like there's going to be another one in this series. Prequel? I don't know. I was going to ask you, what, what would you... If you were to add another movie to the franchise, what would it be? Would it? I, I just want Hunger Games. Okay. The actual Hunger Games, just watching people attack and try and kill each other and make it r-rated <laughs> that's not likely i, I just want to i, I want to spend more time in the hunger games that, would, that was the whole thing that interested me in the series i want to just spend time with that who would you want to would do you have any ideas who you'd want to star in it who i'd want to star in it, or like what director you'd like to see in it i don't know oh tarantino oh really a tarantino version of hunger mm-hmm. then you're just talking battle royale yeah pretty much <laughs> so just go oh, watch I, battle royale I, I, I wish we would remake Battle Royale because the film of that, it's not great. Uh, Battle Royale, for people who don't know, is uh, a Japanese novel. And I think there's also Dystopian a Dystopian future. Yeah, yeah, but in that, it's a whole class of school children put on an island. They're made to kill each other. And so the nice part with that novel and that story is you don't know who the main character is. With Katniss Everdeen and Hunger Games, you know she's the main character. It's a trilogy. She's right. got to make it to the end. Right. And the 
uh, Battle Royale, you don't know who the main character is, so you keep thinking it's right. some guy, and then he gets killed, or some girl. I really like it. Plus, there's so many more things you can do with uh, character relationships, because now people are trying to kill their best friend, or they don't want to kill someone, right. or the mean girl finally gets to kill the goody two-shoes. Well, that's sort of in the Hunger years. Games. Yeah, but for the most part, they're killing strangers. I think you could make a prequel called The Hunger Game. The first one? Yeah, and it would be, well, maybe not the very first one, but I think Haymitch is a legacy, right? Mm-hmm. The role played by Woody Harrelson. And I could see him, I mean, I think that they tell that story in a, a Haymitch tells Katniss or Peta what his motivations were and how his story ended. And I thought that was kind of, I mean, it was it might have been kind of tropey, but it could make a good visual story. Maybe with Ty Sheridan as young Haymitch and uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Or Maisie Williams. I've always enjoyed Hit Girl. I like Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones. Like Chloe Grace Moretz could play a young Alma coin. (laughs) But then it would be just like, uh, what, Baby Flintstones? No, I I like your idea, though, of the first Hunger Game. The Hunger Game. How did this all get started? And then you have some interesting thing, you know, people disagreeing with running the games, how how you get everyone involved, and then the crowd turning and and loving the violence. Yeah, I think that thirsty Panhammers. Yeah, Yeah. I could go for that. All right, well there you go, Hollywood. You're listening. Yeah, get casting right now. All right, so that's that's Hunger Games. So we're only recommending it to people who enjoyed the novels and who have uh, fourteen and a half hours to commit to watching. The trilogy that precedes it, and the uh, the listen to the audiobook. I think the audiobook's like eleven hours long. Yeah. Or you could read it faster than that, I suppose, if you're a fast reader. All right. So you recommend it for the people? I don't know. Yeah, but I, I thought we'll it was see. fine. I, I enjoyed it. They did a serviceable job. All right. So now it's time for our sort of announcement here. It's a big announcement about Flying Bowl Production Studios and where we're headed. We're adding another show. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna starting in 2016. We're gonna add another. Uh, we we really haven't come up with a name yet. You were thinking about something called the the small screen. Yeah, something like that. I, th- I think the streaming screen. Yeah the the main show is literature and film, but we want to focus on stuff that you're going to be watching at home on your television. Well, what, what this is sort of a spinoff of the We Laugh. And what we're going to, I think, do is attempt to go into more in-depth reviews of things that are streaming, uh, entertainment that's available for streaming or perhaps entertainment on television. I am really over the moon about uh, Fargo season two. I think it's it's up there with the best television series of all time in the history of everything. So, uh, yeah, it's almost as good as Family Guy. (laughs) <laughs> it's actually there's there's uh so much Cohen Brothers stuff in it. I think they're producers in the movie or I'm sorry in the television show that uh you, and you can see it sort of run through there like a, a caramel filling inside of a cheesecake. All of my metaphors are food metaphors. You know, Sam. Yeah. Or football. <laughs> I'm a very li- <laughs> I'm a very limited metaphorical person. Uh, anyway, so the new the new series, uh, the new show, we're going to try to start it up in uh, January in 2016, and uh, we'd like some, you know, if you want to provide some insight for us on it, 
mm-hmm. you can uh, meet us or reach us. Yeah, you can contact us by emailing the show at the laugh podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at the laugh podcast or you can message us on facebook.com slash the laugh podcast. So that's laugh 100. Yeah. Mr. Two Frames, I'm thankful for you having put this uh, show together with me, producing uh, the laugh podcast. I'm very thankful, yeah, for this last year. I think we did. 30 episodes over the first three years we were doing this oh there's more than that i think it's about 30 we wow. did in three years we were doing one about one a month during the school oh, okay. year and in the last uh, 11 months we've done 100 episodes awesome so I- i've really enjoyed it i'm glad that the network executives at flying bull productions <laughs> saw fit renew to renew this. us for season two and a hundred more episodes next show creed creed i think yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Creator, maybe I'll finally get caught up on Fargo. Ooh, man, I you. I don't know. I I've got so much to do this holiday weekend. You have so much to eat. Yeah, you got a lot to eat too. <laughs> Apparently, the turkey my wife and I got is enough to feed five people, and it's just the two of us. You gonna give any to the dog? Does Dalton yeah, get Dalton, any turkey? Dalton, right. Dalton will get a little bit of turkey. Thank God. I'm pretty much eating turkey for the next five days. All right. We hope that you guys enjoy your turkey as well. And uh, thanks again for listening to the Laugh Podcast, people. Thanks. I'm Mr. Uh, L-Train. Over there is the two frames. Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons. takes anymore though just fine it saves me time you need to be more funny i have to bring the funny sometimes yeah most time the outtakes are about me that's because i'm making fun of you i'm I'm using it as funny i'm using it as an excuse well tony was laughing he found out about my toe from the outtake (laughs) he put it together after like four episodes of us mentioning a missing toe Uh he's like i was pretty sure you lost that toe